All right, what's up, everyone? We're live today. I'm with John, the Godless Engineer, um, joining us today. So thank you so much for coming on today, John. Oh, yeah, no problem. I've, uh, I really enjoy having discussions, just uh, really almost about anything. So uh, I, you know, jumped at the chance to come on here and talk about stuff. Yeah, 100%. So I don't know, just want to make sure for everyone listening, like, I don't know what you guys were expecting with this. This isn't going to be like, some like formal debate, we're going to be at it for like an hour or so. I just kind of have some questions from John and maybe some follow-ups and we'll just kind of take it from there. The whole idea why I wanted to do this is just to learn um, from John, just try to see what he believes and why he believes it. And yeah, so I guess to start, start off, maybe if you could just in a, maybe like a minute or two, maybe three, just talk about how you, it's a big question about how you got to where you are today. Right. So, um, it, it it's not it's not that not that exciting of a story uh you know i grew up catholic and so i went to catholic uh private school and catholic church until i was about uh in fifth grade which would make me like what 10 or 11 or so and then after that point uh we started going to more protestant uh type churches uh southern baptist uh lutheran uh other denominations like that and i spent the rest of my time as a christian uh in there and then i guess later on like after high school maybe i was more non-denominational uh, I didn't really go to church all that much, but I did have like, you know, friends that were going to Southern Baptist churches. And so I would go with them on occasion uh, or I would go to non-denominational churches. Um, and then uh, one time my friend right after a church softball game, he kind of questioned you know, my faith in God, uh, and was trying to help me in the direction, uh, of, of like, uh, I guess, fundamentalist Christianity. And he told me that, you know, you're not a real Christian unless you read the Bible uh, or, or, or take the Bible literally from cover to cover. So, you know, he, he believed in, you know, the six day creation, 6,000 years, um, all, all that good creationist stuff. And I just, I knew that I couldn't believe that. So I thought that, you know, well, I guess I'm not a real Christian. I got to figure out what I believed in. Uh, so I, I, I took some time and I critically examined what I believed and, you know, it, it, led me down a path where I eventually came to the conclusion that I didn't uh, believe in a God. Uh, I just couldn't see the evidence for it. I wasn't convinced uh, by any of the evidence that I found that one does exist uh, for sure. So I had to come to a sensible conclusion of uh, agnostic atheism. Uh, that's where I don't know whether or not a God exists, but I don't believe one to exist. And, you know, I've refined you know, what I believe uh, over time with more uh, reflection on the different arguments and more reflection on what I actually believe. But, you know, it took probably about six, six to nine months or so for me to lose my faith uh, in God altogether. So when was this that you lost your faith? Like, were you in college? Was it after college um, time frame? Uh, well, it was, um, let's see, it was definitely while I was in college. Because uh, I hadn't grad, uh, I know I hadn't graduated with my master's yet. I was about twenty-five, so that was that was about ten years ago or so. So, uh, see, that would put me. Uh, I probably I graduated with my bachelor's uh, in computer engineering in two thousand nine, and so somewhere around two thousand nine, two thousand ten, I came to the conclusion that I didn't believe in God anymore. So, uh, yeah, it was right around that time. Okay. So what inspired you to start your YouTube channel and kind of like what, what's the goal of what you're doing everything with YouTube wise? Um, well, so I started out on Facebook. I, uh, you know, had this new, I had this new worldview that, you know, didn't agree with pretty much anybody in my family. And so I decided that, uh, you know, I was going to make a page on Facebook so that I could put all of my, you know, memes or, or um, I could interact with 
Facebook uh, as, you know, this sort of anonymous page. And uh, I chose Godless Engineer because it kind of described me. I, I was newly godless, right? And I was also freshly an engineer. Uh, so uh, I, I started posting, I started making my own memes, my own images uh, to, you know, uh, spread various uh, ideas that I had. And it got to the point where it was the page was getting really popular, and I decided that I wanted to take, you know, my activism to another level, and uh, you know, do videos. And so I just sort of, you know, randomly made videos there for a while, and I didn't really take it seriously until a few years ago when I decided that I was going to you know, uh, start posting on regular schedules, start posting multiple times a week. And, uh, I had, you know, a lot of ideas that I wanted to go through and I still have like uh, a, a ton of things that I want to go through on my channel. Um, but yeah, I would say the main draw for me starting a YouTube channel and, uh, starting to make videos is that I wanted to join that particular part of the community. I wanted to be, this active voice, uh, you know, for my position. And so I just went full in with that. Okay. Um, so I just want to go back now a little bit, kind of just work um, our way forward, kind of like from when you were a Christian to like now when you're an atheist. So we'll just start with when you're a Christian a little bit. So you said you went to Catholic school for a while. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So all right, side question here. I've kind of, I've played sports with a Catholic school. And we always, I noticed like, um, like on the doors and stuff, they'd always have the lettering at the top of the doors. Uh, do you have anything like that? It's not really related. I'm just curious with, um, when you went to Catholic school. Uh, I mean, I don't remember letters above the doors. Uh, what kind of letters are you talking about? I don't, honestly, I don't even know. It'd just be like A plus B plus C, but not literally A, B, C, you know, just various letters. And then usually like the year on the, and I'm just, I still really don't know what that was. So I was just hmm. curious if you knew. <laughs> Uh, no, my, I mean, I only went to up to fifth grade and we really didn't have sports. It was, it was pretty simple. Mm -hmm. So uh, that might be something they do like, uh, in uh, high school or something. Okay. Anyways, what, so how long would you say you were a Catholic for? Let's see. Uh, we left the Catholic church. Um, I want to say when I was about maybe 10 or 11 years old, so I'd I'd probably say solidly for the first nine years, uh, I was I was considered Catholic. Okay, um, and then you transitioned to like a more like a Protestant um, type faith almost. Well, yeah. So we left the Catholic Church and we just started going to you know um, I can't remember. I think it was like a Baptist church. Um, I, we really, we really didn't go to church all that much after that point. Um, but I know my mom ended up uh, at a Lutheran church and I had bounced around different Southern Baptist, non-denominational and, uh, just regular Baptist churches. Okay. Um, so next question I want to ask you is about like, do you think like at that time, did you believe you had a relationship with God? And like the point of this isn't to be like, hey, you know, see this guy, he didn't actually have a relationship with God. He's not a real Christian. I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to angle at here. I'm just trying to wonder, um, what did you, did you believe that you had some sort of relationship with a creator, God? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely felt that way. I remember as a kid thinking about how, you know, um, in, in the Bible, there's Adam and Eve. And if Adam and Eve were the first two people, then, uh, we're all related, right? We're, we're, we're all, um, uh, we're just, we're all related. And, uh, so, I mean, I do remember that. And when I was in high school, I regularly, you know, prayed to God and, uh, asked for forgiveness and, uh, stuff like that. I mean, granted my, my attachment to my faith uh, when I was, uh, you know, at, not just, not just in high school, but throughout, you know, my time being religious, uh, I really wasn't all that attached to my faith. I had certain points in time in my life where I felt like I needed to be more attached to it. And I tried to be more attached, but I could never just, I can never get to that place that I guess most Christians find themselves in. Mm -hmm. And so that was always a struggle with me is, you know, uh, 
or when I was a Christian was, you know, am I, am I doing the right things as a Christian person? Like, and, you know, I, Oh, maybe I should pray more and, you know, everything like that. But I, I definitely felt like I had a personal relationship with whatever God I considered that I had. Okay. Um, how did you think you had that relationship with, uh, the God you believed in at that point? If you understand what I'm saying. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure what you're asking. Okay. I just say, I'm just saying like some Christian, uh, Christians often believe that God speaks to them in certain ways. So kind of like, did you believe that in your relationship, God spoke to you? I guess I could have made that question more clearly. Um, things like that. Well, I remember when I was a kid, I had asked a teacher at my Catholic school about, you know, praying for uh, real things in this world, like praying to get a bike or praying to get something physical and tangible. And it was explained to me at that time is like, uh, you don't really, that's not what you use prayer for. You pray uh, for God to give you strength and all this other stuff. And so that, I mean, that's what I kind of focused on was, uh, you, you know, I focused on the things in my life that I thought I could interpret as God, like talking to me, um, uh, God, you know, in the, in those kind of ways, not literally like a voice in my head or anything like that. But I felt like anytime I had a random memory popped up that was embarrassing, that was like God punishing me for something. Uh, I, I, I felt that, um, whenever, whenever just about anything would happen and I, and my first thought was, Oh, that's God trying to tell me something like those kinds of things. Um, so, I mean, I definitely felt like God, I guess, spoke quote unquote, spoke to me in my daily life. Uh, but uh, of course, I don't know. It, it came and went, just like with my adherence to my faith or, or my connection to my faith. It kind of it, it it was weak at times and it was stronger at times. So it kind of it, it really correlated, you know, with those weak and strong times. Okay. Um. So you talked a little bit about what started to lead you to like an atheistic view, but do you think you could elaborate maybe a little bit more on some of those doubts that you had that kind of, um, or kind of like the journey that led you to becoming an atheist? Well, uh, you know, the, the, the journey to me becoming an atheist really kind of, it was, it, it was no, like there, there was no one argument that, really stumped me or caused me to stumble or anything like that. It was really just the proposition that I wasn't actually a Christian and the, the idea that, well, if I'm not a Christian, then what do I believe? Because up until that point, I had been told what to believe my entire life. Mm -hmm. Like I'd been told, well, God exists. Jesus is his son. And, you know, we, we pray to Jesus and we pray to God and, you know, we do all of these ritualistic things. And these were all like normalized to me. So I, it, at the point, the point of, of me considering, well, maybe I'm not actually a Christian. That right there, I guess, was my biggest stumbling uh, as far as in the faith was uh, the, the idea that I could not believe in, in God uh, or not necessarily in God, but not knowing what I believed. And so when I started looking at the evidence, I, at that point in my life, like I, you know, I was, um, either had graduated, uh, college or was, was, uh, about to graduate college. And so when I, when I took a look, you know, at the evidence, I, I had a very analytical way to go about it. You know, I, I was looking for direct evidence that, like a God existed or anything in the Bible uh, matched reality. And so when I looked at the evidence and I looked at the arguments for God's existence, um, I, you know, just came away unconvinced uh, of the actual arguments that God existed. And as soon as I, as soon as I removed that roadblock of, well, this is what I'm told to believe. So this is what I believe. And I started critically examining what I believed. uh, I, I, that, that was the, domino okay um talk about the whole god stuff in a minute but before we get into that it's one more question so we talked about this a little bit beforehand but what does it look like um obviously like i 
never been to the Deep South because Alabama is considered part of the Deep South. I don't really know what it's like there. But what's it like for you being an atheist in Alabama? Well, I mean, it's really not too, too bad. Uh, there are certain you know, issues that pop up every now and then, uh, you know, one of the big concerns is of course the school systems here. Um, I've got a son who's, uh, 10 years old and he is, he, he goes to a school that he goes to a public school and, you know, I, we've, uh, me and, and my, uh, co-parenting person, uh, his mother, uh, we, we, we don't try to influence him. Uh, as, as well as uh, both me and, and, and my uh, wife, uh, Casey, um, we don't try to influence him at all as far as religion goes because uh, we feel that he's way too uh, young to really be concerned about that. And so one of the biggest concerns is, one, the public school system, and then, two, uh, you know, like kids uh, in his class talking about religion and what he's going to say about religion and stuff like that. And uh, I've, I've had to get in touch with the FFRF one time in the past because the public school had all the kids pray before lunch one time. And uh, I really wasn't okay with that. Uh, I, I would hope that most parents wouldn't want their kid to be told to say some kind of prayer that might be against, you know, what, it, however they teach their kids how to pray. Uh, I feel like it should be a very personal thing. Uh, the relationship between, you know, a child and their faith, if they have faith. And uh, I don't really agree that uh, anybody other than the parents should be able to dictate that, you know? So that's one concern. Uh, all everything else like at work, um, I don't really have too much of a problem. I have been in some work environments where people will talk uh, a lot, you know, and, and congregate a lot. And so whenever I would join in, uh, the conversation would go South uh, a, a few times, not because of me exactly, but because the, uh, other people in the group would get angry because, you know, I, I wouldn't just, you know, toe the line with things that they said. And so, I mean, it's not all, it's not too, too difficult, but at the same time, there are, there are concerns that I have. Okay. If you were to like, just give like a percentage, like what percentage of the people do you think like in your area are Christians? Oh, uh, I don't know, like 90%, I would say, wow. if not more than that. Like, I mean, it's it's North Alabama. If you're not Christian, then it's kind of odd. Mm -hmm. What about, like, atheists? Like, for that other 10%, would that be more atheists or are they other religious beliefs or – anything else? um i mean there's i mean there's always going to be a mixture um it, I, I i don't really have like good numbers on it but i would probably say that there's a good mixture of uh jewish uh individuals as well as uh islamic or hindu um uh, people okay um so i'd love to just pick your brain almost um, with God and like kind of like your beliefs about, or more of your lack of beliefs um, about God. Um, so obviously you're an atheist. That's why I wanted to talk to you. I think it's, I'm sure you'd agree. That it's important that we dialogue with people that we don't agree with. Um, so I think you talked about it a little bit, but can you just talk about as of now, what does it mean for you to be an atheist? Well, for me, I mean, uh, it's just not believing in uh, a, a deity. Um, whether that be multiple deities or a single deity, uh, just simply, you know, not believing in them. Uh, and then uh, of course I take the position of agnostic atheist. So that's, I don't know whether or not a God exists, uh, but I don't believe, uh, one to exist. And so that those two, I, I feel like that, that entire label really kind of sums up, you know, my position completely. Uh, because I feel like it's untenable to be Gnostic about either side of it. Uh, I really don't think that you'd be able to prove that one doesn't exist, but I also don't think you can prove that one definitely does exist. So I think at most you could really just be agnostic about the question. Uh, but I do realize that all, uh, there's plenty of Christians out there that definitely know that a God exists and that's, that's fine. But, uh, I still feel like it's a, it's a really, really hard position to be in. Okay. Um, so 
what would con- is there anything that would convince you that a god exists? Uh, you know, that's a really good question, and I'm not exactly sure what what exactly would um, prove that a god exists. Um, a, a good start, though, would being being able to prove that the supernatural uh, supernatural events happen. I think that would be a good first step. Um, that doesn't necessarily point to like a god existing, but like I said, it it, it gets you uh, one step closer. I think to a God existing because right now any supernatural event that you can probably name that's happened in the past uh, actually occurred naturally with natural reasons as to why it occurred. And so until you can prove that something can, I guess, randomly disrupt the natural course uh, of reality, the natural order of reality, um, uh, I guess I guess it would have to be somewhat random. Um, then, uh, un- unless you can prove that, then uh, I I think that if you could prove that, that would get me closer to thinking that you know a deity exists. But beyond beyond proving supernatural events happen, uh, I'm not really sure what kind of evidence we would be able to obtain that shows that God exists. Um, but I w- I would say supernatural would be a good start. Okay. Um, so what would kind of convince you that something occurred in terms of miraculous? Like, for example, um, obviously there's a lot of people who are Christians or theists who would believe that these events are occurring. Like, for example, uh, my boss, when I, who I work with in the summer, would claim that he laid hands on someone who was blind. And then he, or not maybe not him, but he was with a missions group that laid hands on someone who was blind. And then he saw, or um, I saw that, I think it was Lee Strobel tweet, retweeted this, like, um, medical journal where there he basically claimed it was evidence of a miracle because there was no um there's no possible explanation from a naturalistic framework so as an atheist how do you kind of look at those miracle claims that you see from theists well um as far as the you said that you know somebody that laid hands on someone on a blind person while they were on a mission trip and then they were able to see he was with the group that did, yeah. That's what okay. he was saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm immediately very skeptical about that because of the fact that that's just simply not how things work in reality. I think in order to prove something like that was actually a miracle, you would need to set up, uh, you know, a lot of 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 things and, and record a lot of things in order to show that a miracle actually took place. Uh, you would have to verify in some way that the person actually was blind. How do you know that that person wasn't just planted there by the guy uh, that uh, w- was doing the miracle? Uh, how do you know that he uh, wasn't just sort of legally blind and then could, you know, when they did something, he pretended that he could see, uh, or he set it up in some way to make it seem like the guy could see again, or something like that. Um, th- there's there's a million different ways in which that could have happened, you know, naturally. And I'm not, I'm not, I I, I couldn't exactly hear what your second uh, example of a miracle was. Yeah, um, it's just something more of a. We've seen. I just saw. Um, Lee Strobel put out a tweet a little bit ago, a few days ago, just with like a recent medical journal, which talked about, um, I didn't honestly, I didn't read it. I just kind of saw the article and was like, okay, interesting. He just kept, you know, just kept scrolling. Um, but it was just like a medical journal where apparently some event occurred that there is no natural explanation. And basically the doctors are like, we have no idea how this occurred. Some sort of like healing. Um, I'm not honestly super familiar with it. I'm just kind of more asking for like, what do you think when like these medical journals would come out, will come out with something that says, Hey, there's no explanation in medicine for why this tumor disappeared or this bone came back together. I don't know. Things like that. Well, I would say that for one, there's a lot of things we don't know about our body and we're still figuring out, you know, different, different things today. And so just because we don't know the explanation for it doesn't mean that it happened miraculously. I would say that you would need a lot more evidence in order to suggest that it actually happened supernaturally than just, oh, we don't have answers. Uh, I think that there's a lot of things that people don't know. Uh, We're also restricted by our own experiences and our own uh, ability to understand this reality. So I I think that – 
you know, the most likely case is that it, there, there's some natural process, whether or not we know about it now that happened that caused the, uh, person to get better or something to happen. Uh, the most likely case is that because we don't have any recorded medical miracles or anything like that to happen as of yet. Uh, we have things that we don't understand or that we don't know, but it's a giant leap to go from, Oh, we don't know how this happened to, well, God must have done it because then the question becomes, well, which God did it? Was it Zeus? Was it, um, uh, any of the number of, of pagan deities? Uh, is it, um, is it, uh, Allah? Could Allah be responsible for it? It's kind of hard to jump to a, a, a specific God definition, let alone just a general God, dis, uh, description. Okay. Yeah. That makes, I get, totally get what you're saying there. Um, so what would you, sorry, I'm just trying to think about how to frame this question here. Um, Sorry, I just totally blanked there. I had a thought. Um, okay, I got it now. It's all back together. Um, so let's just say, theoretically, um, there's this event that occurs. Um, there's no explanation, um, naturally. And this event convinces you that there's a supernatural um, force. If there is an event that would convince you, what kind of event? But basically, what I'm asking is what could convince you in terms of like an argument for miracles that a supernatural event has occurred? Well, I mean, you would have to figure out some way to show a total suspension of the natural order of reality. Um, I'm not exactly sure what that would look like, uh, but I would say that if you could sufficiently prove be beyond reasonable doubt that it was an actual suspension of the natural order of reality, then you would have a good case for like a supernatural event. Uh, but the, the problem is though with supernatural events is that as soon as you can explain it, like in reality, because it happened in reality, it automatically becomes a natural event. That's not to say that the natural events, that natural events can't be like caused by God in some way. I would think that, you would need to show that causal link between a deity and the natural events, which right now our understanding is, is that we don't need any supernatural intervention for natural events to occur. So uh, I, I would say that if you could sufficiently prove that it was a natural suspension of, uh, it was a, if, if it was a uh, suspension of the natural order of reality, you would have a good case for a supernatural event. Okay. Um, just kind of one more question on this before uh, we keep going here. Let's just say, like, theoretically, um, let's just say you lose your ear, right? It just gets, like, chopped off, right? Um, mm -hmm. So that's gone. Um, and then let's just say, theoretically, someone comes and doesn't, for this argument, for this not for this argument, for this question, it doesn't really matter if it's a Christian or a Muslim or Jew, someone who believes in a theistic God prays for you um, that the ear grows back, and that ear eventually does grow back. And the doctors would say, hey, there's no explanation naturally for why your ear grew, grow back. It must have been, well, we don't know. Um, would that convince you that there's some sort of like supernatural element to reality? Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, just because, I, I mean, there are, it, it, I would say that as soon as you could rule out other possibilities uh, that, you know, maybe... Uh, I don't know. You had um, like one of those first aid sprays from Resident Evil or something like that, and you sprayed it on your ear, and your ear grew back or something like that. Like I don't know. As long it, I would say that you would have a good case for it if you ruled out every other explanation. But th that's that's why proving supernatural events is is really tough, is because you you have to be able to rule out all these other explanations because like if you think about it a long long time ago we used to think that lightning came from the gods like the gods caused rain the gods caused the gods caused lightning i mean the gods even even controlled uh seasonal patterns and now we understand those particular natural events and uh, we know how they happen we know how seasons work we know how lightning and thunder uh, thunder worked we know how eclipses work so i i would say that you would you would need to be able to rule out 
every, like all natural explanations in order to suggest that it was a supernatural one. Okay. Um, appreciate your thoughts there. Uh, just like learning from you. Um, let's just, I want to ask you some more, a little bit about God and stuff. Maybe just transition maybe a little bit to some of more of the other arguments for the existence of God. Um, I know for you, you believe morality is subjective, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, could you talk a little bit about your, I saw you made a TikTok. Actually, I mean, I don't agree with you, but I really like the TikTok that you made about moral subjectivism. I think it was a few months ago, actually. But um, what, for you, why why are you a moral subjectivist? Well, I, I'm a moral subjectivist because I see differences in moral foundations and the best explanation for those differences is uh, the fact that morality is subjective to each of us. And uh, a lot of people see the commonalities between everybody's moral foundation because we all live in the same society. But when you take a look at, you know, com when you compare yourself to other societies that exist out there, you see vast differences of, of moral foundations and moral behaviors. And the best explanation that I can get to for that is um, that it's a natural consequence of a complex central nervous, nervous system. Um, it's just an emergent property of, of our complex brains. And the reason why the God explanation doesn't really cut it for me is because if you take a look at the Christian uh, moral foundation, if you will, it changes even, even in today's landscape, uh, the, the, the Christian morality, the basic Christian moral foundation, I would say, uh, changes depending on what area of the country you live in, what society that you live in. Um, and then, and then if you look back in time, uh, you have different moral foundations uh, for Christians um, uh, across the ages. Um, you have morality changing through time. And so it really doesn't seem like Christianity, or at least a Christian God, isn't the, the source of morality. And in, morality, even on, in Christianity, seems to be malleable. And with how malleable it is and the fact that it changes with a shift in uh, societal norms— it seems more like we are the ones that control this moral foundation and the societies that we live in control these moral foundations uh, that we have. And so that is way more likely than a supernatural God explanation because it is a natural explanation for it. Okay. Yeah. I think I totally uh, get what you're saying here. Um, so, about this. Um, I want to go back to that in a second, but one thing I want to ask you, obviously, um, any sort of, like, is you believe in an objective moral standard would probably the first question they'd ask you is, um, if morality is subjective, let's say, for example, the Holocaust, was that wrong? I'm sure the question, anytime you say you're a moral subjectivist, that's the first question you get. But what kind of response would you give to that question? Well, I mean... It's just it's just the same as me comparing my moral foundation to any other society's moral foundation. Um, you know, whenever whenever we talk about them being absolutely wrong or or anything like that, what we're really talking about is our shared moral foundation uh, that we have, and we're comparing that shared moral foundation to this other groups moral foundation. And so we, we have, we have a certain number of moral facts that we have deemed are uh, absolutely true, right? Even though they're not really absolutely true, at least I don't feel like they are. Um, they're very nuanced in just about every situation. Um, but it, it's really just comparing your own moral foundation to their moral foundation. And I mean, you do that all the time with other people. I mean, if you just look at social media, you'll find people that, you know, use their own moral judgment um, to condemn or praise other people on the internet. Uh, and even in your, your own lives, because, you know, you as a Christian could feel one way about a topic and think that that is the morally correct way to 
respond to a certain situation, while another Christian out there could feel completely different about it, and they could have a different sense of morality. And the just because there do exist these commonalities between our moral foundations in our society, even across societies, there are common uh, commonalities between moral foundations. That doesn't ultimately mean that a God was there to give it. I think that it's more about what I, I think that it's more about what allows a society to survive. And those particular uh, commonalities uh, have been worked into the societies that we have now. That's why, like me as an American, and then like somebody from Great Britain and somebody from France can all look at. Uh, the Third Reich and be like, you know, that was pretty whack. Like that was abhorrent kind of thing. And we can do this with, with multiple things, but I, I think that the way that I would respond is just that it is subjective, but I'm using my own moral foundation and the common foundation that we all have in order to condemn that particular society. Okay. Yeah. I think I totally get, um, what you're saying here. And I think I, in a lot of ways, from your perspective, I totally get like, it makes sense to me. I think that um, for the Christian or for the theist, someone like me, I think they would say that that moral foundation that you're talking about doesn't really come from ourselves. It comes from God. But I think um, I really understand what you're saying there. Um, so. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I was just going to say that that harkens back to like the different moral foundations that Christians have. I mean, there was a couple out in California just maybe like a year ago or so that, you know, chained up their 12 children in the basement and barely fed them anything and, you know, abused them their entire lives. But they did it because they felt like God was telling them to do it. And while a, a lot of Christians now would see that as a perversion of their faith and that they were completely wrong in it, still doesn't change the fact that they felt like God was calling on them to do this. And if you look across time in Christianity, you see the Christian ideal of what God, how God wants you to morally act changing because at one point in time, it was perfectly fine to like have slaves. And then after 1865, when we started really cracking down on the slave trade and eventually, you know, completely abolishing it and even giving um, African-Americans uh, the equal rights and all that, like we, we see this moral foundation of Christianity, this what seems to be a core tenet of it changing in real time as society, like society changes first and then Christianity catches up to it. So I mean, it to me, it really it's a really big blow to Christianity that you don't have God issuing a, a moral foundation or a set of rules uh, at, at one time. And then Christians always obey those rules. Like it, as soon as soon as Jesus uh, ascended back up into heaven, that's when the changes started, uh, according to you know the faith. I, I don't think that he ascended back into heaven, but um <laughs> You know, at that point in time, you know, people started to twist the faith. They would twist it in their own direction. And we even have evidence of that in the history of the, the New Testament in general. I would agree with you that a lot of times Christians will try to bend um, their beliefs to try to fit what they want to do. For example, with the whole slavery thing. I would agree with you on that. Um, so, like, obviously, I'm not looking to debate you, or I would obviously— Oh, I know. Stuff. So I'm just trying to understand. I don't want it to sound like I'm just like, okay, okay, okay. And just trying to like skip everything you're saying. So, okay. Um, you good to move on here? I just want to talk about some other stuff for a little bit. Okay. Sweet. I appreciate your time. Um, so just maybe talk about one more kind of like argument for the ex existence of God. Um, Cause obviously I've seen a lot of stuff online about, about the cosmological argument. So, I mean, just go with maybe like, a simple column, maybe, but like, what's your thought on the, the general idea of the cosmological argument? And let's see the cosmological argument. That would be the first cause argument, right? Correct. Uh, so uh, I, I don't dispute that there was something that caused the inflation of the universe. I just, 
I don't see a connection to a deity that needs to be there in order for it to start. Uh, I think that it could have very well happened naturally. Um, you know, the laws of physics seem to break down the closer you get to the singularity and, and just before the, um, the uh, inflation of the universe. But I, I don't think that necessarily means that things still couldn't happen naturally. Like the, uh, I feel like the inflation of the universe is definitely a natural event, even though we don't know what actually caused it. So I guess on the surface, I, I agree with portions of the Kalam argument, but it's when it's when the cosmological argument posits that God had to exist in order for the universe to come into existence. Uh, that is is where it kind of breaks down for me. I don't see that causal connection. Okay. Um, do you do you believe that there was some sort of like ex nihilo beginning to the universe? Uh, you're talking about like a, a, a coming from nothing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that it was necessarily nothing. I, I don't know what was uh, what the state of the universe was like prior to that. Um, uh, we do know that the universe inflated uh, to uh, uh, a size a little smaller than what it is now, like on a cosmic scale smaller. Um, but it, it inflated in uh, less than 10 to the negative 32 seconds is how fast it inflated. And then regular expansion happened, happened after that. Um, so it's not necessarily that it came from nothing. Um, it's more like, it's more like it inflated and created space time and everything like that. And, and in, in a, in a incredibly short amount of time, but I still don't think that it started with nothing exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, thanks for your answers. I appreciate it. Um, just maybe for like the last, uh, 20 minutes or so here, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about your beliefs regarding Christianity specifically. Cause I mean, obviously I'm a Christian. That's what I believe. Um, so I guess just start off, maybe just kind of give like your general beliefs regarding Christianity, kind of maybe like talk a little bit about like where you believe it came from or like things like that. Okay. Uh, well, as far as Christianity goes, um, I believe Christianity is definitely based off of the Old Testament. Uh, it was written, uh, the New Testament was written to fulfill certain things from the Old Testament. Uh, I believe that Paul started having visions of uh, Jesus in about the uh, 50, well, he started writing in the 50s, but I think like uh, some sometime before that, just ma- uh, maybe a few years uh, into the thirties, um, he, he started having visions, you know, uh, about Jesus and other people were having visions about Jesus. And so, you know, they, they initially wrote, you know, letters and everything like that. And then later on the gospel started being written first with Mark, then Matthew, then Luke. Um, but ultimately I feel like the Christian faith really just relies on the, uh, visions and and understanding of the scriptures uh, as coming from the original apostles, uh, which would have included Paul and Peter. Um, so I, I don't really see a lot of evidence that Christianity is true in the sense that, you know, Jesus came, he died for our sins and he resurrected and then ascended back into heaven. Um I, I don't believe any of that because the, there just is a lack of evidence to suggest that that is what actually happened. Okay. Um, so great point to start in here. I know you actually responded to me at some point. I actually haven't still finished that video. I just, I just, I'm sorry. I've, apologize i need to get no, 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 that's fine i don't expect everybody to watch all my videos or anything like that i put out a lot of content so uh you know i i, I put it out there for people to find and watch whenever they can yeah i'll i'm going to get to that i promise you it's just life is insane right now but um regarding obviously i know one of the things i talked about with jesus mythicism and i i'm still not completely sure your position on jesus myth i don't know if you're a jesus mythicist or if you just say that it's a valid belief where are you on the whole jesus mythicism ideas 
Well, I think the most likely explanation, like for the, for the origins of Christianity, is that Jesus started out as a myth. Um, I still think that there's a possibility that Jesus could have existed, but I don't really think that if he did, we have any evidence that would suggest that he did. Uh, now, um, currently, I feel like the evidence points in the direction of mythical at first. Uh, but I, I, it, I, I am open to there being some kind of new evidence or new argument that could prove that he most likely existed. Um, but currently right now, I, I, technically, um, I say that I um, think he probably didn't exist. Okay. Um, so what about like uh, other ancient um, historical figures? Take, for example, um, let's say Alexander the Great. Um, would you evaluate the existence of the Alexander the Great with the same standards as you would, for example, the existence of Jesus? And if so, um, where are you on the existence of, let's just say, I don't know if you know too much about Alexander the Great, but someone like him. Oh, yes. I, I know plenty about Alexander the Great. <laughs> Great. Um, well, I mean, this is one of the historical figures that regularly gets brought up because we don't have a written record about Alexander the Great until Arian about 500 years later. And a lot of times that's brought up because we have like the Gospels that are written just 40 years after Jesus supposedly died. But the big difference between the Gospels and uh, Arian's uh, record of, of Alexander the Great is that Arian used and named first-hand sources that discussed uh, Alexander the Great, uh, most importantly, two of Alexander's generals. And he had access to these uh, government records um, uh, from these generals. And so he, he told his history of Alexander the Great from first-hand accounts. He directly names who he got his information from, uh, and, and he, he follows what we would consider good historiography for the time. How that compares to the Gospels is that the Gospels don't name their authors. They don't name their sources. And in fact, the only sources that they really do cite in the Gospels is the, the scriptures uh, or are the scriptures, which would be the Septuagint at the time. Um, and so that, that's how the, the evidence differs for the two. Um, so we have firsthand accounts about, uh, or well, Arian used firsthand accounts ab about Alexander the Great in order to tell his history, while the Gospels did not, at least do not suggest or name any kind of eyewitness accounts uh, that would tie, you know, Jesus to an earthly existence. Okay. Um, so what do you think of... Let's just think, um, I'm just thinking here, let's just take like maybe like First Corinthians, I believe it's 15, um, who someone like a Habermas or Lacona would say is the earliest Christian creed. I've heard them, they date it to like a couple years after with the alleged resurrection, so like 35-ish AD, where it talks about um, Paul claiming that Jesus appeared to um, Peter in the 12. Um, I'm totally messing it up, but that's like the general idea. So how would you view that claim? Well, uh, I mean, I don't dispute that it probably existed around the time that most scholars say it existed, but really the only thing that it can really get back to is a belief that these things happened. Uh, the things that Paul says are rhetoric. Uh, I mean, he talks about how Jesus appeared to 500 people. Who were these people? Uh, where, where was this appearance at? We don't have any kind of information that we could use in order to validate it. Even at the time, if, if he said, oh, 500 people from so-and-so city, uh, Jesus appeared to them. Um, I mean, who would, be able, who, who would be able to come up and be like, oh, I didn't see that? Like there's literally no way in order to verify that those things happen. So what it really gets back to is just the belief that Jesus appeared to people. And I do believe that Paul believed that as well as uh, he believed in these visions that he had of Jesus. But the problem is, is that Paul is our, is, is a, con would be a contemporary of Jesus. So, 
he would have firsthand knowledge of disciples or even Jesus's ministry. But what we find is that Paul doesn't mention any of these things. He doesn't mention an earthly ministry. He doesn't mention any uh, disciples, which I know that he talks about Peter, but Peter isn't, uh, he's not indicated by Paul to be a disciple. He's in, indicated to be an apostle. Sure. But not a disciple. So, uh, evidence like the Pauline creed in one Corinthians, um, three or uh, 15, three through eight, yeah, exactly. um, I would say definitely dates early, but it can only get you back to a belief that these things happened and not uh, an actual account of these things happening. So for you, what would be like an actual account of these things happening? What would, what would make, what would make you believe that 15, that I'm sorry, first Corinthians 15, three through eight would be an actual account of things happening. What would convince you of that? Well, I mean, I I would say that he would need, you know, like actual sources cited. Uh, so, like, consider consider the Alexander the Great thing. Uh, how Arian uh, has his history set up is that he used firsthand accounts. He names those firsthand accounts, and uh, he has a a reason for having access to those firsthand accounts. But what we find in the Bible, especially in Paul's letters, is that he doesn't name any sources. Or the only the only things that he really cites are visions and scriptures. So any of the information that he has about Jesus is going to come from these visions and the scriptures. So. The as far as the Pauline Creed goes, it talks about Jesus, um, you know, uh, uh, being crucified, dying, and resurrecting. Those are all things that would have been told to him by Jesus, um, you know, uh, by Jesus through visions or or in the scriptures. And then the people seeing him, let's take the 500 at face value and say that there were 500 people that saw a risen Jesus. Well, that would still just be a, you know, belief in a vision or at least a belief that they saw the resurrected Jesus. That He doesn't give us any names. He doesn't give us a date. He doesn't give us any kind of information that we can use to validate it. Uh, whereas in comparison to Arian and Alexander the Great, we have the names of the generals. We have that they are actual generals of Alexander the Great. So the the, the differences in the evidence is pretty, um, pretty vast. Okay. Um, so I'm just trying to figure, just put together everything you believe here. So I think you said it was Arian who... Um, put together the first account of Alexander the Great. Is that correct? Or am I well, not, not the first one. The That's first the recorded best. one, yeah. Well, well no, it, it's the best account of Alexander's like life. So it's it's okay. the best history that we have access to. Okay. Um, so that would be a secondary source. And I think a lot of Christians would say um, that, the, let's say, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, three, three or maybe the other um, claimed beliefs of, the appearance of like the women seeing the appearances or things like that, those would be primary sources because they'd be taken from the actual um, eyewitness or they claim to be taken from the eyewitnesses. Um, do you get what, do you follow what I'm saying? They don't, it doesn't claim to be taken from the eyewitnesses. It doesn't. Okay. No, um, no, the, the, there's no eyewitness claims uh, in any of Paul's writings. Paul's reciting a creed that he received. Sure. Uh, and that, that, uh, that uh, that creed is early, but it's still like th this is far removed from a secondary source because basically Paul is repeating things that he's heard from other people that have taught that have been told this. So at best, you could say that it's third hand information. It's not second hand information. Um, and Arian, while he is a secondary source, he's using primary sources in order to inform us. So really, we have access to primary sources through this secondary source that's Arian. And we just don't have that with uh, Paul. At best that we could say is that we have, uh, you know, third-hand sources uh, in the form of the Pauline Creed. Okay. Um, thank you for that. Um, so last point here on Jesus, Jesus mythicism, thing like that. Last question. Well, not point, last question. Um, why, so why do you think... Um, the most scholars would re today would reject Jesus mythicism, even usually on a more liberal side. For example, like Bart Ehrman, um, 
usually one of the one of the leading. Um, I don't even know if he's an atheist anymore. He really does some interesting stuff, but um, he's obviously not a Christian. So why do you think most scholars tend to reject Jesus' mythicism? Well, when you say most scholars, I would bet the, the the scholars that are looking into this particular question or would have relevant degrees in this question uh, are for this question. Um, I would I, I know for a fact that they are mostly Christian. I mean, you don't really have a lot of people from outside the Christian faith that are focusing on this. I mean, there's not really the job market for it. There's not. Uh, you know, there's just, there's just not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of interest outside of, you know, Christianity, uh, to study this. So most of your scholars are going to be Christian. And so they're going to be using the exact same type of arguments that they use to prove the resurrection that they do to prove, uh, that Jesus existed. And I feel like the evidence for the resurrection is pretty poor. The arguments for the resurrection is pretty poor. And I feel the same way about the evidence for the um, uh, for the existence of Jesus. Now, you did mention, you know, more critical scholars like Bart Ehrman. Uh, but even Bart Ehrman is seriously flawed on this particular question. Um, you can look at uh, multiple uh, reviews of his book, not like Amazon reviews, but like for instance, Raphael Lataster recently put out a book where he examined uh, uh, Bart Ehrman's work uh, before, during, and after the "Did Jesus Exist" uh, book, and the the quality of history that he does on either side of that particular book is vastly different than the the work the, and quality that he put into the uh, "Did Jesus Exist" book. So it, it it's pretty pretty obvious that. Um, while Bart Ehrman isn't biased exactly, um, I, I do think that his methodology is flawed. And I get that because I've actually heard his arguments. Um, I mean, he thinks that like the Gospels are independent accounts of, of Jesus's life um, and, and different things like that. And I just really haven't found his arguments for the historical Jesus to be compelling. Okay. Um, last question I have for you here. Um, before, uh, that's like, and then I'm out of questions, obviously, but what would convince you if there is anything that would convince you that let's say, for example, the resurrection of Jesus happened? Um, so let's see what would convince me that the resurrection of Jesus would happen, uh, or did happen. I mean, it's a supernatural event. So you would have to find some way, which it being in history is a lot harder because a lot of people want to think that things are like either 100% definite or 0% couldn't have happened. But that's not really how history is done. History is done based on probabilities. And so you have to figure out what is the most probable thing to happen. And when you go into history, uh, it, it, the farther back you go, the harder it is to say anything with any great amount of certainty. Um, even like with Arian and, and his primary sources, that's not a hundred percent certain. Uh, there, there's some level of, of skepticism that, that does exist there. Um, I'm not exactly sure what that would be because I haven't looked that far into the evidence for Alexander the Great. But for for Jesus, I think that it would be monumentally hard to prove a supernatural event in the past. And I know that people like Mike Lacona and Gary Habermas think that you can definitely use history to prove that miracles happened. But I feel like all of those arguments that do do that are contrived and they have to make these impossible logical assertions and ad hoc assumptions in order to make their hypothesis work. Like recently I looked at Gary Habermas and Mike Lacona saying that uh, history can definitely show us that miracles happened, but what they have to do is they have to presuppose that the Christian God existed and that he would have raised Jesus from the dead. And when you have to start presupposing things or ad hoc, you know, tacking on the, these uh, these assumptions that don't have any real evidentiary support, that's when your theory 
is, is becomes less and less convincing. And so I think that it would be monumentally hard to prove something in, supernatural happened in history just due to the fact that we don't have a lot of evidence to begin with, let alone evidence for supernatural things. Okay. Um, appreciate your answer. Um, so that's all the questions I have. Um, before we wrap things up, do you have anything you want to say, add anything? No, I mean, uh, I, I I really enjoyed uh, this conversation with you, man. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I know that in the online space, you know, we can we can get um, uh, a bit more emotional in response videos and everything like that. I know I've tried to change my the way that I respond to certain people and, and things on here. So um, I hope you don't take any of my video that I did as like, uh, you know, inflammatory or insulting or anything like that. I do my best not to be un insulting unless there's an obvious like uh, reason that, that would, I don't know what a good reason to insult somebody would be, but uh, I try not to do it unless I feel like it's kind of necessary. So I hope you don't take it uh, that way. And I can't wait to see uh, what other videos you have coming out. I mean, I'm subscribed. Everybody that's watching should be subscribed to you so that we can, you know, interact and, and keep the conversation going. And uh, I just appreciate you having me on. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on. I learned a lot. Um, Appreciate you just kind of answering my questions and just um, let me pick your brain a little bit. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm available anytime that you want to talk uh, about things. Uh, you know, you just let me know. Feel free to make any response videos that you want to. I always love seeing people making response videos to me. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I would be happy to talk to you anytime, man. Yeah, same to you, man. Anytime. I'm always – I enjoy this a lot. So – yeah, it's the Godless Engineer. I appreciate you coming on, man. I wish you a great night. All right, you too, dude. Bye.